The title sponsor of Hunt Talk Radio is Leupold. Leupold Optics are the trusted optics of accomplished hunters and shooters. If it has a gold ring on it, you know it was built by American hands in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it's a new rifle scope, binocular, a spotter, rangefinder, or eyewear, go to leupold.com to learn more and look for these fine Leupold products at your high-quality retailers. Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. As I was walking, I saw a sign there on the sign it said no trespassing but on the other side it didn't say nothing well that sign was made for you and me Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. Hope you all are doing wonderful. I am. My arm is recovering. Uh, They say that I'm going to be able to go to Alaska on a bear hunt. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to do it anyhow. Even if they said no, I'm still going. But uh, today I have two wonderful people who I've known for quite a while. Um... Rachel Attila and Frankie Foss, uh, two crazy hunters from British Columbia who get to do some of the most amazing adventures. Man, I think about that. If I could do that every day like they do, that would be a hunting life. But anyhow, I, uh, I was talking to Mystery Ranch, who's one of the sponsors of this podcast, and I said, you know, you got any guests that you think would really add a different flavor, a different lens through which they see this world of, of hunting and outdoors? And I said, well, you know, how about Frankie? How about Rachel? I'm like, whoa, yeah, I like that idea. So uh, I don't know where the conversation's going to go. Um, I'm mostly interested in how they... how their world of hunting unfolds and and the challenges they maybe have seen and overcome and the fun they have the adventure maybe some funny stories but uh if you get a chance to follow along with them their adventures are very aspirational uh to me to to get to to see what they're doing and i you know the fact that I, I know them is maybe attaches me even more. But they're two wonderful people. I'm very grateful that they've agreed from the far reaches of British Columbia to both chime in and be online with us today. And uh, I have no idea. Well, I, I think we'll touch on... I know we always touch on gear when we deal with the mountain hunting crews. Uh, we always touch on any crazy things that happened out there. Uh, we always touch on things about comfort versus weight, and I'm, I bury the needle over there on the, I, I'll put more weight to comfort. Most people are somewhere in the middle of the bell curve. I'm like way over there on the side towards comfort, but uh, anyhow, who knows where it'll go, but we sure appreciate you being here, and uh, hopefully you enjoy this conversation. All right, folks, I told you on this episode, we were going to have two of the most, I'm going to call them badass mountaineers, mountain hunters that you are going to encounter out there on the landscape. 
If you have the capability to go across the landscape where these two people go, I don't. I have at times been invited to somewhere be near where they are hunting or where they're trekking. And thankfully, I was smart enough to decline because uh, Rachel and Frankie are two British Columbia hunters who uh, are on this podcast. And how the whole podcast came up is I was talking to Mystery Ranch about things and Mystery Ranch is the sponsor of the podcast. And they're like, have you ever thought about having two backcountry women hunters? I'm like, no, I've not really thought about it, but I know two of them who are on your ambassador team and I know why they're on your ambassador team. So let's get them on the podcast. So Rachel and Frankie, thanks for being here today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having us, Randy. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Randy. Rachel, you are right now in the middle of calving, is it? Is that what's going on there? Yeah, we. Uh, my boyfriend and his family, they actually moved here from southern Alberta. And yesterday they had gale force winds of like 70 kilometers an hour. So the power was out and I was trying to get everything. We just finished chores and I raced in the door to find all my equipment is in a vehicle at the other end of the south side here. So I'm like, well... This is how you get me. I'm so glad I'm not having to do a video with calf crap here. <laughs> well, that brings the disclaimer. If someone hears a tractor come by, someone hears, Rachel, get over here. We need to do an emergency C-section on this pregnant cow or a dog barking. Folks, just ignore it. It's Welcome to the Yellowstone. <laughs> is this the British Columbia version of it? Actually, oh uh, yeah. Uh, we'll get into that later, but it's actually a really cool remote part of BC where our range, we work with the First Nations and we have our range tenure right off the ranch here. So yeah, it's actually, it's pretty cool. Wow. You are out in the middle of nowhere. Frankie, if I understand correctly, you are a Montana native that through love and, and other coincidence, you ended up in British Columbia. Am I saying that right? Kind of. I actually grew up in Seattle. Okay. So I'm a Seattle native. I lived in Montana for a while. Gotcha. And I got dual citizenship when I was 18 and I moved to BC for a couple of years and then back stateside. And now I've been back here for about six years. All right. I have heard stories of both of these people that I've asked both of them to bring their own stories, but I don't know if Rachel knows this, but she lucked out and missed out on the opportunity of having to put up with me one time. Because I was booked on a hunt in British Columbia and Rachel was one of the guides. If I understand correctly, you blew out an ACL on a sheep hunt. Oh my gosh, yeah. So that would have been 2019. I was supposed to be at Dustin's up in the Casiar there. And it wasn't actually my ACL. I was on my own hunt and I ended up finding out the hard way that I had near full thickness fissures in my cartilage and my knees from too many years of carrying heavy packs. Ooh. So... Yeah, kind of a trip to Colorado and a bunch of stem cells later, and I was back on the mountain a year later. But yeah, unfortunately, but I, it was cool though, Randy, because I got to go and retrace a lot of the places you went when I showed up there in 2020. So I saw your name on the wall in a few of the cabins and heard some of the stories. <laughs> it was really cool. Well, then, Frankie, your husband, Adam, has been a photographer and videographer on some of our hunts. And I, this, he's not paying me to say this. He speaks so glowingly of how you are his best hunting partner because you don't complain. Whatever idea he comes up with, no matter how goofy it is, <laughs> you don't say, told you so. I'm like, 
how do you find a hunting partner like that? Because he was telling me about the the last one he was telling me about. He was down on my mountain goat hunt here, photographing for Leopold, Mission Ranch, and Sitka. And he was telling me about a sheep hunt that you guys had went on. I can't remember how many miles, but it was a lot of days. And I just told him, I said, Adam, I, I hope you never invite me on something like that because I'd hate to be so impolite as to have to decline. <laughs> and uh, is that like par for the course being married to him or is it par for the course being married to you? Uh, I think we both rope each other into different boondoggles, but I would say different types for sure. And yeah, it is kind of par for the course for him. <laughs> He's always looking to switch it up, do something different, try something new, throw a dart at the map, go at off time, late season, early season, whatever. And sometimes you end up in some precarious places. Yeah. He was telling me some of those places. I'm like, you know what, Adam, I, <laughs> I don't need a sheep or a goat that bad. <laughs> Both of you happen to now live in British Columbia, which if you are a hunter, I don't know if you can live in a place with more dreams, more possibilities. I've only hunted there once, but it was, it was my adult life dream and turned out to be better than I dreamt of. How often does that happen? Do you ever go on an adventure where... After years and years of thinking about it, it turns out better than you had concocted in your mind. Oh, I think so. Sometimes you end up getting more than you bargained for on the adventure side and everything else. But I think that's the cool part about BC, though, is that you got 19 of the 29 big game species. So there's definitely no shortage of critters to go after. But I know for myself, the hardest part for me is I made a career guiding and then I'd be so busy ranching in the off season that. I'm embarrassed to say I really haven't gone hunting a lot for myself because my money-making time as a guide is peak hunting season. And then unfortunately, when you grow up with all the outfitters, it's like, oh man, who do I need to sneak into their area if I want to go after a sheep for myself? So it's kind of <laughs> you know, one of those things that you got to balance. So when you start telling stories, it's like, oh, you know, I got dropped off at this unmarked location because you never know which neighbor's listening to where you escape. <laughs> hey, what are you doing in my location, Rachel? Yeah, yeah. We were saving that ram for somebody else. <laughs> I wish we could have captured the video of your expression <laughs> when I just said that. Oh, that's funny. We can all see each other, so we can see the facial expressions when we say something, but we're only recording audio. I promised them we would only record audio. That's because so. you didn't shave. We're just going to oust Randy right now. His wife said that, you know, you're going to have to shave and be a little bit more respectable. Yeah. I'll just oust you on that one, Randy. Sorry. We'll Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Kim Newberg, fortunately, does not listen to these podcasts or I would have been divorced a long time ago. <laughs> Usually I get into marriage advice on these podcasts. You guys are getting a kick out of this. My most popular, most downloaded podcast is when I had three women on the podcast and we gave marriage advice to hunters. Wow. And the way I look at it, I've been married for 34 years and I hunt 100 days a year. So my marriage advice is probably worth something. Oh, yeah. You know, maybe not a lot, but maybe something. Both of you are on the, if you want to call it, the team of Mystery Ranch. And Mystery Ranch has a tendency, me excluded, to bring people into the fold that are going to go out there and really put their equipment to the tests and wear it out, if that's possible, and give good feedback. Uh, Mystery Ranch is 
I don't know if, do you know of any other pack company that makes a women's line of backcountry packs? Uh, probably like Osprey and stuff like that. Hey, Frankie, I'm not really, but anyway, I believe they're the only hunting pack for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys get to be the, the prototype testers, the, the people who get to call them up and say, Hey, what? don't do this or do this or do more of this or do more of that. Do they put pressure on you for that? Honestly, like when I first started with Mystery Ranch, it'd be 10 years ago. I went from being a horseback guide up at Harold Grindy's in the NWT and I started going and looking. I remember I talked to a guy named Trevor Shoelist. I was packing with him and he goes, okay, I'm sending you a list. And he said, this is the God list. Thou shall stay within this list because you don't want to take too much stuff. (laughs) And he's like, get yourself a good pack, step number one. So I remember going to the shows and I kind of had gone around and I'd looked, but that's back when the men's harnessing was. So it's been cool to be a part of it for the last 10 years and help give feedback because I know you start loading down and with the way the yokes used to work, it used to actually like pinch me quite hard because the pads were just so wide. So I definitely, thanks to inreaches and satellite phones, I definitely have given a couple two cents things on the side of a mountain about 90 pounds into my backpack being like, okay, guys, we need to pick something right now. (laughs) They've been so supportive and good about it. I know. Hey, Frankie. They've been awesome. They did a fit study in 2017 where they actually put out a Craigslist ad and paid people to come to the ranch and they measured all of their different measurements. So their hips, their chest, their hip tilt, a bunch of different measurements. And then they put together sizing specific for women. So the women's harnessing came out as a result of a fit study where they did a bunch of measurements with a bunch of different people to try to sort out, you know, how to get the best harnessing and the best fit. And it's been a huge improvement. So guys, you guys have both used pre-women's version and the women's version. Mm-hmm. It made a big difference to... It did. Like ergonomically, I think for like between us, Frankie, I mean, we're two different body types. Frankie's very short and petite. I'm pretty tall and athletic. And like, that's one thing like with that study... And just the different feedbacks, like even on the way that the straps pull down when you're trying to tighten and the load lifters, it needs to be quite ergonomic for you. Like when you are burdened with a bunch of different weights and different things that you strap on your pack. I remember some of the adventures I've seen, Adam, you guys have so much between your bows and everything else. I'm lucky if I'm just carrying Hunter's stuff. It has made a huge difference. The thing is, I jokingly said I can carry too much weight with that backpack because of the way that the balance is. And the way that it actually has used all of that information and sits just perfectly. I have yet to find a backpack. I tried a few other ones just for research information and just would load them down like a rucksack. But Mystery Ranch, they're a little bit heavier than a lot of the other models. But I mean, I still have one from 2013 that I gave to a friend of mine and she's still beating the heck out of. Hey folks, application season's pretty much done and now it's research and planning season. And we spend as much time out on GoHunt during research and planning season as we do in application season. We're out there using the e-scouting tools, the terrain analysis stuff, the maps, the amazing store, all the great articles that get put out there. If you are interested and you have a great tag and you need to start planning that hunt, I'd suggest you go out to GoHunt. And if you sign up and use promo code RANDY, they're going to give you $50 of credit in that amazing gear shop. So one-stop shop for anything and everything related to hunting. Gohunt.com, promo code RANDY. 
Nosler Ammunition is the official ammunition of Hunt Talk Radio and every other platform that we produce. Nosler was founded in 1948 by John Nosler. And over that time, Nosler Ammunition has proven time and again why so many hunters and shooters trust Nosler. Whether it's Nosler bullets, components, or their premium grade ammunition, Nosler's reputation at quality shines through. We shoot exclusively Nosler E-tips, Acubons, and partitions in all of our rifles. And all of those can be found at Nosler.com or look for them at fine retailers near you. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is brought to you by Mystery Ranch Backpacks. For years, I've been using Mystery Ranch Packs. It might be the Metcalf or the Beartooth, the Sawtooth or the Pintler. No matter which Mystery Ranch Pack you choose, here's how you can save 10% on your purchase. Go to the Go Hunt gear shop, gohunt.com, put a Mystery Ranch Pack in your cart, and when you check out using promo code RANDY, you're going to save 10% off that pack and most of the other regular priced items in your cart. Mr. Ranch backpacks. Can't beat them. Go check them out. Well, they focus on, what do they call it? Carriage, load carriage. In other words, how to carry lots comfortably. And that, you know, eight extra ounces or whatever some of the pack companies want to brag about. You know, that eight extra ounces doesn't do me any good when the pack is rubbing on me or not balancing the loads or doing what you I break a stay, do. the yoke doesn't fit. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I wouldn't, there's other things I'm willing to sacrifice in the comfort department that I'm, would rather take the extra eight ounces in my pack and cut that somewhere else. Yeah. I'm of the same nature, but I know how long of trips the two of you go on. None of you seem to do like, well, we'll just do an overnighter here. We'll do a day hunt. Everything I see, maybe it's just because when you share your your stories, it's these British Columbia adventure type stories. You guys are going on multi-day trips. You're bringing everything with you. Rachel, I know sometimes you have the benefit of horses, but I know there's times where it's like horses can't go here. If you had to guess, what's your average length of trip in terms of days and nights in the field well as a guide i start in july and i come home in october and (laughs) like if we're gonna go that way because that's one thing like you know you kind of you might be able to go back to base camp and obviously like restock but sometimes like you've been out in the field and you just get a restock of grub and then you go and that's one thing i've loved about like the marshal is that i can take it and i can compress it down with all of the straps use it as a day hunting pack but if i need to have the volume to be able to go get dropped off by a wrangler and go do a five-day push i've got more than enough room you know in my backpack to be able to to express it for a 10-day trip or a 14-day trip and i think that's the cool part about it i know frankie frankie and adam have their system dialed when it comes to their food and like some of the ways that they've been able to compact things and that's one thing that i've got a few personal trips this year i'm going to try and get on and a lot of times i'm cumbered by what's available at the outfit food wise and so you try and bring like your best gear or your lightest gear or your most comfortable but like years ago when we we're talking about like eight ounce worth like i'm sorry i'm a princess if i don't have a good night's sleep i will i actually pack the x ped and it takes up like an eighth of the room in my backpack but i know i can float 
down a river if the Noah's Ark is coming and the rivers are coming by <laughs> on that tracker, and I can put it down so much places. Like, I've hiked to the end of the day and I'm like, I, I we're done, we're camping here, and it's like a bed of rocks, and it's like I don't know what you're doing, man, but I just start pumping up my X bed and I have the best sleep. But it's one of those things that I don't want to sacrifice, but having the big mystery ranch lets me do it. My trip length is probably in between seven and ten days, maybe eight to twelve. <laughs> Maybe it, depends. it depends on where adam's picked how you know and it's usually day 10 when you find a ram and then it's the two-day pack out so it always feels like you kind of have a range of we're going to be out for this many days but always at the last minute at the last hour at the last day is when when what you're looking for appears yeah three more miles up the drainage we we, we can get there before dark yeah yeah if you had to guess, Frankie, on those trips, maybe you've weighed your pack. When you start out, what do you think it weighs? I think when I start out, I'm carrying 45 to 55 pounds. I need to take some pack lessons. I definitely need to scrimp mine down. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> really? small. I mean, I can't. I think for a long time I would compare myself to Adam and his brother Cam, who have both been sheep hunting, I feel like, since they were born. And I would compare myself to, well, they, they're carrying 70 pounds or they're carrying 65 pounds. Why am I not carrying that much? Why am I only carrying 35? Why am I only carrying 40? And I would kind of beat myself up about it. Someone said to me, well, look at your difference, the difference in size. What do you weigh versus what do they weigh? What's your height versus their height? And it kind of did a little bit of a reset in my mind. Adam and I will divvy quite a bit of gear up between the two of us as well. So he's still, he's still helping me carry some of the shared camp gear. I wouldn't take away from you though, Frankie, you're a tough gal. And that's one thing like you guys, like as much as you share your system, you still, you carry your weight. Like, I wouldn't mince that at all. I, I was a post that you shared that was so endearing. And you're like, you know, I thought what the photos I thought marrying a photographer and then all the photos Adam takes of you. And you're just in the middle of the grind <laughs> with your backpack. And I'm pretty sure you're giving him like the one of these in the photo. <laughs> Sometimes I'll get back from a trip and I'll send pictures to my girlfriends of what I look like on these trips. And they'll say to me, you have to stop doing this to yourself. You just, your skin. I mean, everything just goes to shit. It feels like sometimes it is so, yeah, you just put yourself through the meat grinder, but there's something oddly satisfying about that. I don't know. Is there? I'll tell you what, I don't know what your skincare routine is, Randy, when you're out in the field, but as a woman, that's one thing I, you know what, like being a guide, I actually, you know, that's one of the things I allow myself a hairbrush and there's like these, I'll, I'll give you a free skin advice, Randy. Okay. We are actually talking about our dermatologist this year at Sheep Show and like, you know, cause we don't want to be a wrinkly old prune. Men are allowed. I remember Shocky one time. He was like, you know, men are allowed to look old and wrinkled and rugged, but women, they have to like keep themselves up. And I remember he said that at a very influential time. And I was like, crap, I don't want to look like a raisin. So <laughs> anyway. Well, that's hardly fair. Yeah, it's hardly fair. But at the same time, I think it's like a pride level for women. And I think that's one thing 
especially when I'm out guiding, Elizabeth Arden has these really nice little capsules that you can get at Costco. It's a little little, um, serum. I'm just going to give it to you there. And it is a really nice skin barrier at the end of the day if you can wash your face in a creek and put some sunscreen on. So just in case you were worried about your moisturization levels on day 45, (laughs) Ah, Rachel, I'll tell you that of all the things an old fart like me would be worried about... My skin care level is probably lower on that list, but I fully get it because I fish with my wife who, for her, a good summer of fishing is 40 to 60 days a year. And she, I'm not going to say her age, but everybody who sees us together is like, Randy, how did you talk into such a younger woman to marrying you? Because she takes such good care of her skin. And I want to say, look, she's a little bit older than me. So I don't know if it's just... I'm so old and weathered or she's done such a great job, but (laughs) being out in the sun and being in the elements, I fully get that. But what you said, Rachel, gets me to another point. We all go to the sheep show. We all go to a lot of these shows. And as a general rule, I'm more of the prototype of what you see out hunting, right? An old gray haired white guy, hard of hearing, (laughs) kind of cobbled up, you know, the old Bruce Springsteen song, glory days. To me, that's what all the sheep hunters are at the sheep show. A bunch of old washed up guys who are trying to relive their glory days. And uh, you guys help them do that through taking them out and making sure they don't hurt themselves. I thought you were making a correlation that that's what we look like by 3 a.m. in the morning. A whole bunch of old washed up. Oh, no. So (laughs) this is the other part of it, right? I got a bum liver, so I can't drink. So while you guys are recovering from your wounds of the backpack race or, you know, whatever else you guys have too much to drink and get involved in i'm like in my third nightmare by the time you guys are shutting it down so i don't see that part so no that's that's not where i was going with it but being women in the hunting space uh, like both of you are being phenomenal athletes who go to crazy places and do things it just seems like there's a different expectation no matter what it is in our societies placed on women than there are on men and it's probably a little more profound in hunting. Or do you feel or see that at all? Or is it just like, well, this is what we do? There are differences between men and women. That is undeniable. I married into a hunting family and they never treated me like I was any different. And when I did say, I can't, I won't, I can't, I shouldn't, I don't know. You know, it almost didn't register where I would say, you know, I can't, I'm not capable. I I'm a woman, I'm a girl, I kind of would make these excuses and they would just look at me. It didn't register. And so them not, they never treated me like I was different or I couldn't do something or I needed to be treated or baby, whatever it was. And so I almost never have thought of myself as a woman in the hunting industry. I do look at a lot of the outfitters or guides, camp cooks, women that I meet that have grown up hunting or grown up in hunting families. And I have been doing this for a long time, a lot longer than me. And I feel like they've really forged a path for what that can look like and that they're out there performing just in exactly the same way. And that is their way of life and they don't know any different. And so having role models to look at that are women, it comes so naturally to them. It's intuitive. It's who they are. Aside from being a woman is also 
been really influential to be able to look and say, well, look at all these women that have been doing this since they were born and they're not any different than the men or the boys standing next to them. Well, that's good to know that you've never felt any different. I was just curious and it was, it's comforting to me as someone who consciously wants to make sure everybody is viewed for who they are and what they are in the hunting space and, and what they bring to it. I often wonder about that. And obviously, since I'm a guy, I, I don't get to see the world through your lens. That's curious. So, Rachel, when you are guiding, do you ever get that look of what? When I first started, yes. Like there were a few women guides like Devlin Bradford at the time that I had looked up to. Their area was just kind of a few mountain ranges over, but that's before Facebook and everything. And I think like, like I, I started going to the mountains when I was a kid and like that was in a time where, you know, there wasn't alcohol in camps. I mean, if you did, it got flown in to celebrate, but like you didn't wear short shorts, you didn't wear tank tops, you didn't wear makeup. And now like, so like I kind of grew up in a time where I felt like I had to be and like my own personal struggle has been like I have to, I always wanted to be professional, I guess is a way of putting it. I never wanted to attract attention in a feminine way because I never thought of myself as a girl. I was just a guide out there doing my job. I remember like the first time it was with actually an Italian client who I still stay in touch with all these years later, but he got dropped off on the dock and I was mentoring under John DeVries at the time and he goes, oh, I got grandpa and the kid. And I remember John going like this, he gave me a <laughs> wink and he's like, you're going to learn what an education walk is tomorrow. And like, he took him on a great big walk. And the guides that I had that I got to mentor underneath didn't treat me any different. And I think that's what I do appreciate about that. But I, you also have to hold yourself to a higher standard. Like there's certain ways that you can be a professional and still be feminine. And like, you know, I, I bring mascara on Cape Day. If I want to wear mascara, cause it makes me feel like a girl after I just packed out a Ram for a client and maybe had to take more than my fair share dang well, I'm going to do it. And I started calling it. It's like, I'm going to the Creek. I'm having a fem out moment. And if I'm going to wash my feet <laughs> and wash my nails and just go have some quiet time, I started to become okay with that. And one of the things I found like Harold, actually, when I worked for him in the territories, because I was a backpack guide, I didn't think anything of it. Like I just was, we we're getting dropped off. We were going hunting because he was a little bit more old school. He's like, you know, I, I feel like he would ask his clients, is it okay if you go with a woman or a woman hunter? And the guys that said, I have a problem with that were usually a pain in the butt for the male guides anyways. So it's like, yeah. it doesn't matter. There's going to be always people you can never please in, in any industry or, or hobby. And I think that's something that this industry is really wholesome on. And I think women, I think the women have been doing a good job. If you want to wear a full face of makeup and go on a backpack hunt, all the more power to you. It's just more weight you got to carry. <laughs> right. But it comes down to how you, how you carry yourself because historically at Scoop Lake and like some of those other places, like they, you know, you had families that would come to camp and it was a family atmosphere and, you know, like overseas, like they'd have women in camp for other reasons. And, and that, and like, I don't want to say it, it's like something that they was talked about. So it's like, it's always been on the back of my mind to just be the utmost professional, no matter who you are. Well, when I was in Dustin's camp up in British Columbia, our wrangler, Blythe Crookshank, she's the most badass person. I, I told Marcus, my camera guy, I'm like, every time we're out, she spots the moose or she spots the kid. It's like, why isn't she the guy? Nothing against James. He's a great guy. Blythe needs to be a guide, not a wrangler. Mm -hmm. 
I, I just gained this appreciation for how she just says, this is my job, this is what I do. And a level of professionalism that was beyond anything I could have expected in a camp. And she always had a smile on her face. It was quite remarkable. And so to hear that each of you have your stories of how you handle that in a male-dominated activity like hunting is, it's cool. I'm glad to hear that you haven't said, well, let me tell you about this time. <laughs> oh, I think professionally called a few of those, but it's like, ah, you just... <laughs> those are the days you go on a really long walk. By the end, of the day, a bit of humble pie, and usually that works out pretty good or... What's that old saying? Keep your head down and work hard and the, and the actions will prove you worth. And on those ones that like to come off the plane and do a lot of this talking and big time and all this and dead eye dicks, it's like, okay, well, let's get under 200 yards and then see. <laughs> Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. You'll find courses by my buddy Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, me, Hank Shaw, John Barklow, Jamie Teagan, and the list is growing and growing. And here's the other cool part. My buddy Corey, who founded the University of Elk Hunting course, the popular course that is everything known about elk hunting, his course is now part of your subscription to Outdoor Class. So, all for one subscription, at one price, you get all of the Outdoor Class courses, plus Corey's University of Elk Hunting. Go to OutdoorClass.com, use promo code RANDY when you sign up, and you're going to save 20%. This will be great information for any hunter. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class, an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. Outdoor Class now includes the University of Elk Hunting course from my buddy Corey Jacobson. All these courses in one single subscription at one price. Go to OutdoorClass.com and use promo code RANDY to save 20% when you sign up. This is great information for any hunter at any level. The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Mountain Tough. The Mountain Tough Bodyweight On-Ramp Program is the perfect program for someone who's busy like I am. If you travel a lot, if you got that busy daily life, this works. I know because I've been in it. And I also know that I have to make fitness a priority at this point in my life. The Mountain Tough Fitness app makes that incredibly easy. I get to follow a program from start to finish, and I know when I'm done, I will have achieved my goal. And my goal for hunting and my health. I'm going to hunt until I'm 80. Well, I hope I am, if I live that long. Anyhow, if you want to invest in your health and your hunting, Go to mountaintough.com, sign up for the free trial. You'll get 14 days free. But if you use promo code RANDY when you sign up, they'll add another 30 days onto that free trial. Go there, mountaintough.com. Frankie, you said that you came to hunting through Adam, what'd you say, six, seven years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, I, from what I gather, you've kind of been in it most of your life, probably. Like me, I, I, I grew up in it. If you would have told me I wasn't going to be responsible for most of my food 
growing up and have been like, what do you mean? If we're going to eat something, we better go hunting or fishing or picking berries or mushrooms or something. That, that was just what I grew up doing. But having married a, a person who hadn't fished, hadn't hunted, hadn't anything, there were these challenges of, I have all these assumptions that I think everybody else should know this or understand this. I'll admit, I was the worst coach, teacher, whatever you could ask for. How my wife learned any outdoor skills from someone like me is in spite of me, not because of me. Well, honey, here's what you do. You just line up here, you know, and pull the trigger. And Any of those kind of moments or, or challenges getting into such a, I'll call it a difficult level of hunting. Because let's face it, hunting the mountains of British Columbia is not for the faint-hearted. You already have that challenge inherent to mountain hunting. And then you say, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to be a good sport. I'm, I'm into this. I can't imagine jumping into it. I mean, that's like if you don't even know how to dog paddle, you jumped into the 10-foot end <laughs> of the pool or something. I, yeah, I definitely feel like I jumped into the deep end. I started more interested in hiking and backpacking and kind of the mountaineering side of things. Adam and I did that a little bit to start and I was really into the multi-day backpacking trips. I thought that was pretty cool. I think having a family that's so into sheep hunting, I didn't really know any different. I didn't know that sheep hunting, archery sheep hunting was a very... (laughs) small, specialized. (laughs) That was my introduction to hunting. I just didn't know anything else. And so I didn't realize that that wasn't the norm or that it wasn't, that it was this kind of highly, this very specialized style of hunting. And so I think too, you know, you're trying, you want to connect. And when you have around people that are so passionate about something, it's hard not to have that passion be a little bit contagious and that this thing that you eat and breathe and sleep and you can't think about anything else you have this obsession over it's over and you're already thinking about the next one you're on a hunt and you're talking about you know you can't talk about anything else but old hunting stories while you're hunting and then you get in the truck from hunting and you talk about where you're going next it's really contagious it's like what is about this sport this adventure this expedition this challenge that is so addicting and it kind of sucked me in because it's just really fascinating and when you get a big when you're at the show or you get a big big group of sheep hunters together and I'm sure it's like this in other categories of hunting but it's pretty electric and I didn't really understand that there were other styles of hunting And so I just thought that's what you had to do. And Uh. the first trip that I ever went on with Adam was in 2011. And we were studying for finals. Adam was studying. I was pretending to study. (laughs) I went to the bookstore on campus to wander around. And there was a book of British Columbia Landscapes. And I bought the book and then I picked out a place in that book and I brought it to Adam's dorm and I said, I want to go here. Can we go here together? Can you bring me here? And he said, it's across the way from a place that I'm going sheep hunting with my brother this summer. 
And I had picked a spot that was within a 60 kilometer radius of where he was going to be without knowing it. And British yeah. Columbia is huge. It was a really a needle in the haystack. And he said, yeah, I will take you there. I'll call you after my sheep hunt and you come up and I'll take you there and we'll go. And it was a, it was a through hike. So you flew into one lake, you got dropped off, you hiked along the way and it was a, a volcanic old volcano with all these cinder cones. And it was really beautiful. It was a park. And he said, no, we'll camp along. And then you got picked up at the Southern Lake and flown out. And I said, okay. So I went home and I worked a couple jobs and I bought a, went to the Arcteryx factory store and I bought a backpack and I lived in Seattle. There was a city park that was right by my house that had a three kilometer loop. And I would put on my hiking boots and my pack and I would walk in a, around the Seward Park loop a few times, you know, over and over and over again. And I joined a ladies fitness group boot camp, and they said, well, what are you here for? And I said, I'm going on a backcountry hike and maybe a hunting trip with my boyfriend. And they all kind of looked at me. I'd <laughs> never heard that before. And I had never really done that before. So I didn't really know what I was in for. And I met Adam and we went and when we went on our, we flew in, we hiked for a couple days on the trail that was a March trail. And we had all the places that we were going to camp along the way. Cause I thought that that's how that's done until we saw a goat. And then Adam said, there's a goat down there. And we took off completely <laughs> changed courses, bushwhacked, sat in the tent in the rain for three days, you know, couldn't get close enough. And I was completely purple from the knees down from the willows <laughs> Got picked up at a different lake. I mean, it was just so out of my element and not what I thought it was going to be. And I kind of thought, well, I'll never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) That was not the plan. And yeah, I mean, I'm here. So obviously I did that again a few times, but yeah, that was my first experience. And it wasn't enough to cause you to say no more of this. Did it take some time to be talked into the next one or was it almost immediate, you know, that electric energy you were talking about where, wow, that was cool. It did take me a little while to get talked into the next one, actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rachel, you, you have brought one up and I always ask sheep hunters and backcountry hunters this thing about ounces versus comfort. Mm -hmm. And you talked about your sleeping pad. For me, it's my tent. Mm-hmm. So in 2018, we went and I wanted to check off another one of my cherished landscapes I wanted to explore. We went up to Alaska on a sheep hunt and it was backpack hiking 12 or 13 miles. And the guide and the one packer who's with us, he looks at my pack. He's like, a two-man tent, huh? I'm like, yeah. At my age, I want comfort. And my Hilleberg tent, my two-man Nalo weighs a little bit more than a one-person tent. Not much more, maybe a pound. Mm -hmm. So I slogged that thing all the way over the pass, everywhere. It's just a function of, I don't know if it's age where sleep is really important to me. And if it's going to be raining, I want a place to put all my gear in the vestibule and dry out and everything else. So the place where I'm willing to trade ounces for comfort 
is moving even further away from the sane middle Mm -hmm. than it had been prior to that. Because when you're in the Wrangell Mountains, it's like, this is not real flat country. Why are you carrying an you know an extra pound? Because you know they say ounces matter. Well, the, when you carry an extra pound, people look at you like you've lost it, Randy. You, you're you're going to regret this. But by the time the hunt was over, I had an awful lot of people interested in my comfort to weight <laughs> equation and how I was sleeping, and it rained every day of the hunt, and how all my gear was dry, and. I was just, you know, as comfortable as if I was back home. So I always want to, I'm interested in in a similar an, analogy. Maybe Rachel, you've already provided yours with, with your mattress or your uh, sleeping pad, whatever you want to refer to it as. Other places where, you know what, I don't care what it weighs or, you know, within reason anyhow, the comfort value is worth it. When you live out of your backpack for months on end, Like that year I worked for Dustin, I slept in a solo Hilleberg tent all but like four times that entire summer. From the time I left to the time I got back, we stayed at a camp that had a stove and that was like luxury living. But I'm the same as you, Randy. There are tents that are out there that are super lightweight. There are mattresses out there that are so lightweight, but I also have a dog. And let me tell you, I had one of those ultralight Neo Airs that has a little deal that you plug in and it blows itself up and it's super lightweight and it could basically take the same size as your water bottle. First thing my dog did was jump in and poof, gone. Oh, it's claws. <laughs> so very quickly, as I started my journey of having a pack dog with me, we have rules and she's usually really good about it, but it was like the one part that I didn't, I didn't put my rain gear down. And let me tell you that hunt was a whole long time until I had a plane come in. But like when it comes down to, like you said, like in the Wrangell Mountains, you have to anticipate bad weather. You appreciate the good weather, but you have to anticipate the bad weather. And there's nothing worse than being stuck in your tent, not having a comfortable bed, not having a good tent where all your stuff is staying dry. So I'm the same as you. I honestly, when it comes to that X-PED, I have an R rating nine. So it's a heavy late season, but I also have a hundred percent down sleeping bag. I used the new Sika one this past year and... Honestly, like I, I sleep a little bit colder and I know Frankie, you had an experience with it this past year that you were sharing with me where it saved your butt with a new sleeping bag from Sitka. I ended up having to wear my down pants and stuff with it just because in the Yukon where I was last year, it was so cold that I w- I'm the person when it comes down to it, I would rather have a minus 20 down sleeping bag that I can open up completely, use as a sheet early season. And then that way later on in the year, I've got that extra warmth. That's one thing, like, especially in an emergency situation, like as a guide, you know, like as hunters, you want to go out and you want to be prepared. But as a guide over the years, like the outfitter sends out a list. And when I was with my partner last year and we were up in the Yukon, like we got to make that list together and like tell the hunters what we wanted them to come with. But it's still, it's one of those things that you can tell them, you can give them the recipe for success, but whether or not they read that document... (laughs) So to me, you know, I'd rather have a good tent. I'd rather have a good sleeping bag, a good sleep mattress, because if something happens and a client goes down and I need to make sure that they're up off the ground and they're keeping their body warmth until I can have, you know, someone come in to help relieve in a medical situation or just even a comfort level of like, man, 
I told you what to bring. So I'm sorry your sleeping bag doesn't work, but we're going to be in the tent for three days. So I've got my book on my iPad or whatever. And when I'm comfortable, I'm really sorry, but we're going to try and get you some willow boughs. But up on the rocks, there's not a lot of willows. So those are my three things, like your housing and where you sleep. Obviously, when it comes down to gear, from when I first started, they have literally exploded. And especially with the women's line, I think that's been something that I still take a little bit more gear probably than other people, but that's maybe my more guide maternal instinct of, well, I'd rather not be cold and wet or have someone. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm the size I am. And if my clients are bigger than me, then at least I could give them my tent in a worst case scenario situation. Frankie, any places where you give up ounces and say, I'm not counting ounces here. The comfort is worth every bit of it. Uh, I, carry a pretty heavy duty pillow. That's kind of my, but I am shaving ounces on the tent. Adam and I have been, well, depending on the season, but that early season we've been running an Anaris, which is, it's a, like almost a, what's the shape? Like a teepee? It's a kind of, it's a triangle and you can take the inner out and it's pretty light. And we, for a long time, were in a one and a half man sharing a vestibule <laughs> because we want to go heavier on at least early season want to go heavier on food because when you get stuck in the tent what else are you doing besides eating sleeping playing cards and then I can carry maybe a set of down booties or something that's like a little bit heavier in the gear that all I'd be willing to sacrifice I throw a rain cover over my pack and stick it outside. I haven't had any big major snafus, but I would say I'm I'm trying to go pretty light and tight. My I don't mess around when it comes to having a pretty plush pillow. I would say that's one of my creature comforts. <laughs> that's so interesting to hear. And and every time I ask that question, was doing a at Cheap Show. We did a podcast with John Barclow, Dustin Rowe, and Stephen Drake. And we had kind of a similar question out there. And among us three and among those three, none of us had the same item of what it is. It's as unique as that person, I think, as unique as our own bodies and probably as unique as just the situation and the way we hunt and and how we do it. I'm always interested. I'm going to send an email to Frankie saying, what is that pillow that you, you refer to? Because... I'm one of those not heads who I use my stuff sack that I put my sleeping bag in mm-hmm. and <laughs> Frankie's shaking her head like, no, don't no, 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 no. I fill it with clothes and that becomes my pillow. Yeah. I know. Adam tried to get me to do that in the beginning where he just said, oh yeah, you bring a jacket and you roll it up and you turn it into a pillow. Forget it. No way. (laughs) And I will say that what has happened is that I would bring a pillow. He wouldn't bring a pillow. And then if I would leave the tent, I would come back and he would be laying on my pillow. Hmm. And so now he carries a pillow, but he carries like the lightest weight, you know, Mm -hmm. he's counting ounces when it comes to the pillow and I'm carrying a big kind of a fluffy so heavier pillow. I can get behind that. Uh, the big, actually, the men's down, the down jacket that like super puffy. I can't remember the exact name for it. It's an older one. I have it in open country. But I literally, I will stuff the whole jacket into the hood 
and it makes kind of a nice disc shaped pillow. And that's, I thought I was really bougie when I obviously wasn't the first person that invented that. But since having my dog the last few years on all my backpack hunts, I wake up many nights where she is laying on the bed with her head on my pillow and I'm off the thermorest. So I can only imagine what it's like sharing it with Adam all the time. You know, <laughs> you got to fight for real estate a little bit. <laughs> all right. The next question. I asked these guys the same thing. Sleeping bag liner, no sleeping bag liner. Late season, I have a merino sleeping bag liner. I do not use a sleeping bag liner, but I bring a little quilt. It's a, I want to say it's called a Thermarest Vesper. Okay. It's a lightweight, it's a quilt, and it's down. Oh, is it yeah, like tactable deals? It's really tiny and I use it. It's, I think it's for people who are in kind of a bivy sack and you're going lightweight to have a quilt and you, it just goes around your pad and it has a little strap, but I use it as an extra little comfort blanket just in case. Hmm. So that's my liner. Okay. I have a collection. It would be a collection of sleeping bag liners. I have of every type of fabric, every comfort rating, whatever. What's your favorite? Yeah, what do you, which one do you like? It depends. You know, I way prefer down over synthetic. Sometimes I can get an extra five to eight degrees out of something. And I'm one of those people, I don't get cold. So... I can take Sitka's 30-degree sleeping bag, and last year I did some days, you know, 15 degrees Fahrenheit in it with a sleeping bag liner and a little outer. Rab used to make this thing called an Ultra Bivy, which gives you about another two degrees. But I do it because I don't like condensation, even though in a Tilleberg with the two, you know, the inner and outer tent, it's really not an issue. But sometimes... The condensation freezes on the inner tent, and then when it warms up during the day, it dribbles down and lands on your down sleeping bag. So I have this really light ultra bivy that I zip everything up when I leave the tent in the morning so that if there is any melting condensation, it doesn't get on my my down mm-hmm. sleeping bag, which, you know, water certainly messes up the insulating values of down. So... That's kind of my combination of what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's going to be cold, Sea to Summit makes one that's, it, it's probably closer to that, n- not down that you're talking about, Frankie, but it's it's a little heavier, but it's nice and warm and it washes really quickly. And then I, like I was asking Barklow, I'm like, John, you use a sleeping bag liner? And he almost got this sheepish, embarrassed look on his face. He's like, no. No. Like, oh, okay. No, I just sleep in my clothes. I do that too. Rachel raises her hand. I do that too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I put uh, all my all my clothes on. Yeah. If I'm cold. Yeah. I started doing like, especially with that new Sitka one, because I was trying to go lightweight. So I did get the three quarter pants. So like even early, early season, which is still like summer by most get like in the Yukon and BC, it's still freaking cold up top. And that's one thing I'm making a point of it when I have the privacy of my own tent. Because sometimes like, in the past, I've had to share tents and like one person goes one way, one person goes the other. Or if I'm going with friends or whatever, I'll try like even early season, just changing out and having long johns. And like those, if you get like a really cold snap, but 
there's so much controversy because they're like, oh, don't bring down because if it gets wet and, and bring synthetic. And so that's where I try and stick with wool, like merino wool. That's where, you know, having that, if I were to fall in the creek and I wanted to dry off, like the merino would keep the heat, but it would help wick. It's a bit heavier than a lot of those synthetic models, but usually late season, you know, you're, you're either going to and from and spiking out. You're not necessarily doing a 14 day death push, but sometimes it happens too. I don't do 14 day death pushes anymore. They would be the true, your term, Rachel, of death push. <laughs> you just put a monument out there. Here lies Randy Newberg. He died on day 12 or, you know, whatever. Just let my wife know where you, where you buried me or, or pushed me off the rock or whatever. When you do backcountry stuff like this, never is there a trip, or if there is, I've yet to have mine, where everything worked perfectly, nothing broke, nothing was forgotten. <laughs> Frankie's starting to laugh already. Any of those events where something broke, got lost, failed, didn't stuff it in when you left the vehicle where you had to, you know, as we call it, MacGyver after the old TV show, you know, MacGyver could fix anything. Any of those instances where you're like, now what do we do? <laughs> and somehow you figured out a way to, to make it work? Yeah, I had two last <laughs> year. The first hunt of the season. I, two in one season? Yeah. The first hunt of the last season, I went with a couple friends and Adam, and we went on a opener looking for sheep and goat. And we had four, there were four of us, we had four portions of coffee, and we only ended up with three. And so that was the great debate of how are we going to divvy up the coffee and who is not getting coffee or what are we going to do to make the coffee last, last, which was very stressful for me. I was like, I don't know if I can share my coffee. I am feeling very upset about this. <laughs> and then on a sheep hunt later in the season, we got really in a huge windstorm and we woke up in the morning and we had lost a pot, a crock and a butt pad all in oh. the middle of the night. And then crossing a river, we lost another crock. So luckily we had a backup pot and then I was the only one left out of the three of us that had a set of crocks but my feet are so small that it was not ideal, but <laughs> we shared a set of Crocs oh. and we must've cut the butt pad and we used the little tiny backup <laughs> pot. But I thought to myself, and I usually don't carry a backup when Adam and I go together, we only carry one pot and we just happen to be three of us. And I thought I got to buy a pot. There's no way that we should be on a hunt without having a backup pot just totally got ripped out from underneath the vestibule in the middle of the night. I just have this mental image of like Cinderella with the stepsisters of people trying to fit into your Crocs and like these big feet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I can just see the conundrum when you're trying to cross the street and you're like hiking your shorts up. It's like, oh, don't lose that Croc. You'd be that person. <laughs> Throwing them back across the river. Oh, oh man. Let me tell you, when we, I was my, one of my first archery sheep I'd ever done when I was guiding. And Jay Osting and I from Bow Hunting Consultants, we hunted our butts off. We were chasing this band of three legal rams around all over hell and high water. We'd get into 70 yards and like a switch, the wind would change, the rams would get up and feed into no man's land. And 
we did a push one day up onto the top. We found the rams, the back, deepest, darkest cauldron of a corner. We had hiked all day to get there. We set up our tent. And we're like, okay, we're taking dinner, emergency blankets. We're going to fill up on water and we're going up. We're going to camp on this ram. He's not getting out of here alive. And we make this huge pilgrimage. We literally get to the top by like seven o'clock at night, I think. And we're looking down to where our tent is. We were so high that we could actually see base camp. And then I can remember seeing base camp and like we fed around this corner and the ram was bedded there. And we're like, oh, we're in the money. We're in the chips. All he's got to do is feed this way or that way. But we don't have a shot right now because we can just see his head. And then the next thing you know, like you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, we just have our snacks and a little bit of water on the top of a mountain. You know, you start like rationing yourself ever so slightly. <laughs> and this godforsaken wall of black comes around the next valley. And we look at each other and we're like, well, we're, we're here. The ram's here. We're in for it. So we put our rain gear on. That ram beds down. He does not move. We go through a torrential downpour. We can see the lights of base camp go on and off and people going to their beds and probably putting their heads on their pillows. And we're sitting up against this wall of rock. We've got nowhere to hide from the storm. And at one point, we finally made our dinners. I can still remember it was the, um, the chicken breast with a mashed potato that Mountain House used to do. And we cooked it and we put it inside of our own jackets to heat our bodies up because we were so wet and cold because we had had the rain just onslaught us. There was nowhere to hide. Like we were just soaked. And that ram got up in the morning and he went up and he fed the other direction and we had no show. (gasps) So we had to walk a shame down to our tent. But as as we're going down, we're like, man, there was a lot of rain last night and there's like water pouring out. And our big oops was, I was like, where's our tent? Oh no! And it was a tight valley and we start walking down and like, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, okay, well, I thought it was here. I thought it was here. And you start like motoring down and here's our tent. The creek had swole just enough that it had lifted all of the spikes up and it was swirling in a back eddy. Just oh. deep enough over our crocs that we're like, at least our tent was still there, but it had our sleeping bags. It had all of our other grub, like how nothing got ruined. But that was one of those situations where it's like, Note to self, do not leave tent on a lower flat piece of dirt in a dry <laughs> creek bed. No, but that was one of those situations where I was like, okay, this could have been worse. But after sitting up all night, trying to dry off, chase a ram on day eight, and you're like, qu'est-ce que <laughs> Wow. But yeah, that was one of those for sure. I don't know how I'd make do with that. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a few moments of like, okay, we have sleeping bags are here. Our food is here. Thank you. Okay, let's have a quick power nap because we're both cranky and hangry and we're going to go try and find these rams, but we need a timeout. <laughs> that might be enough to get me to just fold it up and say, you know what? Better luck <laughs> next time, Randy. But uh, an event like that that you were talking about, Rachel, I, I also asked those three guys at Sheep Show, have you ever been with your inReach and about ready to hit the SOS button because of some event, some, you know, catastrophic injury, something happened, and did you end up having to hit the SOS button? I said, no, I've, I've never. I, sometimes my liver acts up when I'm out in the backcountry because I can't get rid of lactic acids. And so my crew, I think, at times has seen me all messed up and incoherent, and they were about ready to hit the SOS button, but I didn't let them. You guys ever have anything where you're like, boy, I'm glad I brought this in, Reach, because I might need this thing today? Not. Thankfully, I've had a few injuries or like things that I've been able to mitigate that could have gotten worse, whether it was like a cut that 
like we had a hunter that this year who it was our our guides that were out and they had a hunter that scraped his knee when they were going in after a ram that I had just passed on my way out and the guide, he did an awesome job and the client didn't realize he had a serious injury. So technically it wasn't us, but we were in reaching back and forth trying to figure out how serious it was. Well, when they pulled his pant leg up later in the day, like he went, he should have got stitches and like he had a lot of blood loss and he started going in shock. And it's like, so from the outside, from like our crew standpoint, yes. And that's one thing that I do love about the in reach is being able to have that communication I've been a part of some hunts where we've had someone go into certain kinds of shock. They were going into a heart attack, but it was just kind of a medication scenario where we had to just make sure that the wrangler rode the medication up or touch wood so far, but it is a beautiful peace of mind having it uh, for sure. Frankie ever been in any of those where you said, Oh, look at her. She's just instant. I'm like, Nope, not really. Never. Cool. Lucky me. Yeah. As one of my friends used to say, if you have enough kids and you live long enough, you'll see everything in life. <laughs> so maybe it's the fact that the two of you are so young, you've never had a, any of those uh, urgent events. That I hope that you never do. But the places that you travel, your odds of having one of those events versus a turkey hunter is pretty high. I think the thing, though, Randy, like, and I can, I'll speak for myself, but I'm sure it's a lot for a lot of people that live up here you do your due diligence and you are prepared when you go in. And that's one thing that I think Canadians, especially Western Canadians have as an advantage because we do have access to such rural lands. And and this is no offense to a lot of the apps that are coming out. Cause I know you work quite heavily with them, but like, that's my biggest fear is that some of those apps nowadays put too much information into people's hands that maybe haven't done the groundwork and don't really fully appreciate how remote they're going to. Yeah. And that's where, like, to me, I think I'm always on guard. I, I Even when I'm hunting with my friends or, like, even where we live now because we don't have cell phone service. I literally have my inReach in my car all the time because there's, like, one or two spots between here and the ferry where you might get one bar. So it's like living in the mountains full time because you just – you have to have really good levels of communication and you always have to be aware of your surroundings. And that's one thing I've learned – Whenever I'm riding down a trail or I'm walking backpacking with a client, I call them my spidey senses, but I'm always just very aware. And so I'm super tired at the end of the season because like you're on a heightened level, but I just, I try and stay aware if that makes sense. Cause then I, like smells, I'm a big one on smells if all, or birds. I'm always watching birds to make sure you're not walking into carrion or, and I'm watching my horses because they're, they're little radars on top of their head. I mean, they're going to let you know faster than you can think about it so that gets me to one bears you guys live in a place with a lot of ursa horribilis grizzly bears horribilis Uh, are horrible one of the two (laughs) (laughs) uh any bear stories you've had that are worth sharing let's just put it this way you have enough scares that you you have a very awesome respect and my biggest thing is when I have a bear in the area, I, I definitely, I'm very stickler on making sure our food and our meat are in a visible spot away from our tents. That's actually one project I'm working on right now. Like as guides in Canada, you can actually carry a pistol, but given our government situation, a lot of Canadians don't want to talk about it or it was very taboo, but a lot of the instances I've been involved with or heard about or been in the same camps and shared 
with problem bears is defending yourself when they come in on like a moose kill. And a lot of us will put our horses around, but I mean, like even last year we had a bear come in on one of the guides that he came in so fast down when the horses didn't have a chance and they had to shoot it in self-defense in the Yukon. He had a bear tag and it ended up being okay. But in BC with losing it, we're seeing a lot more problem bears. I'll put it that way. We don't have, there's not a generational respect anymore. And that's one thing I'm hoping I'm hoping that we can kind of fight some of the um, pistol handgun bans right now because, or the freezes, because when you have your pistol, like, you know, Randy being in Montana and a lot of those other places where you can carry, when you have it on your person, you have a little bit more time to either react immediately. And that's, I think the biggest thing is that you have problems with bears is what's the first thing we do when we get to an animal, we take our backpack off, we take our bino harness off and we start gutting and caping. And one person usually stands on guard or you're aware and, all of my close calls, and I don't want to jinx myself, touch wood, have been, <laughs> I always have someone watching, whether we're up on the top of a mountain or, or in a swamp, butcher and a moose, because yeah. it just takes one misstep or one time not glancing around to get yourself in a precarious situation. So on all these travels, Frankie, you guys have, I mean, you must keep really clean camps and uh, follow all the protocols because I, some of the places you go, they got to be there. Yeah, they're there. I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've definitely watched my fair share of bears from far away, but never had an encounter in camp. No. We tend to stay up high, although they can be up high, but we're pretty much trying to get up high right away and stay high. Okay. And like to be looking, we're like the sheep. We like to be looking down. (laughs) That's kind of how we hunt. Well, that's helpful if you can get up high. I am really stingy with my elevation. Once I gain it, I don't give it up for hardly anything. I will take some really stupid routes that (laughs) seemingly look stupid, but I'm not giving up elevation. I worked hard for this. And okay, if we got to go on a stock, I'll give it up. But other than that, I'm really not doing it. I've gotten myself into a few pickles not wanting to give up in elevation and gained elevation then not wanted to give it up and then gotten cliffed out or stuck on a waterfall or not realized this uh two years ago we were coming packing out and i stayed up stayed up too high and we ended up having to take off our packs and lower them down to each other and did a hole because i didn't realize how quickly the canyon dropped in elevation especially when you're climbing up, you're not necessarily, you don't necessarily understand what it's going to be like coming down. And I just wanted to side hill all the way and it yeah. completely backfired. If I got to start lowering things with a rope, that's the time to quit. Yeah. You got to remember, I'm an accountant, right? I drive a desk for a living. I'm pretty much on the soft side, but I, people ask me, you carry rope for, like, if you get stuck somewhere, it's like, no. If I need rope, I'm backtracking away from where I'm at. I, you know, it's kind of like chains on your truck. You save the chains to get you out once you've been stuck. Yeah. You know, to me, if you got to get in there with a rope, I don't know how the heck you're getting out of there. <laughs> well, I think you too. You can have situations like a couple. Like I've camped on the side of a mountain, or like if we have a late stock, or we're waiting for game to move. 
a lot of times like I'll anticipate I'm like okay in my head like the kid that made the survivalist forts out of the book I got at chapters when I was a kid I'm always looking for like a fort opportunity and that's like my biggest nerdy part that I'll like come clean on I loved making (laughs) forts when I was a kid and reading people in situations especially after like the highs and lows of like making a stock and then finally making a shot depending on how hard our climb up was I'll like geocache in my head okay there was a flat enough spot under a tree where we're gonna have type two level fun and camp under a tree tonight and then come down on fresh legs tomorrow and it definitely it makes for the adventure but I think that's what we're all there for too but at the same time same as Frankie like I'd I get really overly optimistic about some side hilling and especially with clients when you don't know their knees or their, their history. Cause as you climb up the mountain, you find out some of their history. And then as soon as you start going down with a load, they're like, Oh, but I did have a football injury where I have two replaced knees. And then I just got them replaced last year. And you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well then let's, let's have a timeout. And, and so you're constantly having to like jumble your plans, but I'm, I'm big on the forts. And if you can, although Dolly, my dog loves type two level fun and she will bury herself between all of us. She has the best damn sleep on the mountain and everyone loves a dog and they think they're going to stay warm, but she like weasels herself into the best flattest spot. And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but you can kick her out if you want. (laughs) So as we try to bring some conclusion to this, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't ask, I'm going to ask you two questions. What's your don't leave home without it item that if we're planning a hunt, no matter what it is, no matter where it's at, there are just some things I am not leaving at home. It doesn't matter if it's a mountain hunt, flat country hunt, sheep hunt, deer hunt. This is coming with me. Let's do that one. And then I got, I got one last question that I'd be interested in. Your, the, the last one's always about a story. Anything in your don't leave home without it kit? Never leaving home without rain gear. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. It's interesting you say that, Frankie, because so many people I know think, well, you know, the forecast said this. Well, if you're hunting in the mountains, it doesn't matter what the forecast said. You're going to get dealt a different hand. Rain gear. Yeah. I started uh, taking my down pants. I, I thought those three-quarter pants were so bougie at the beginning, and then I got a pair, and I'm like, you know what? They're like camp pajamas, and I'm I'm secure enough in my identity that I'll rock those all the time, whether it's summer, <laughs> late season. Like I'll throw those on over my long johns and like and my Crocs, and that's half the time when stuff comes running by your tent, and I'll, I just really want to kill something in those pants and my long johns and my Crocs one day just for the just because it'd be like the ultimate you put the crocs in four-wheel drive with like the little strap on the back and then you just go for it (laughs) well those are two things that i i would say that the the rain gear is i you know sitka's newer lighter version of rain gear pretty easy to throw in your pack and sort of forget about it comes in really handy I do have a pair of the three-quarter down pants, Rachel, but I can't say that I've ever worn them in a situation where I thought, yeah, I'm going to shoot something with one of these. Usually I'm sitting glassing somewhere on a cold rock in December waiting for an elk to come out and feed for the afternoon. That's my goal for you, Randy. You need to shoot something wearing your three-quarter down. 
<laughs> All right, I'll work on that. I'll I'll pack them. I I have an Arizona elk tag up in the mountains of Arizona in December, so maybe maybe I'll say, Rachel, this is for you. Look, I'm wearing these, and, and maybe I'll shoot one. So stories. When you think hunting stories, I did prep you for this in the email that I sent. You got to have some story that instantly comes to your mind. This story, this adventure, this whatever. When I think about the love of what I have for what I do and the people I get to share it with, this is the adventure that that does that for me. When I first started going up north when I was a kid, I I did it because I wanted horses, right? So that, I'm I'm guilty about that. I didn't really know a whole lot about hunting because I didn't hunt when I was a kid. But when I got to go, and I always had the adventurous spirit, and I got to go be a part of like the wrangling team, and then I worked up to being on the like the wrangling for going out to the camps, and then I finally got to go on my first sheep hunt. And I got to wrangle on a sheep hunt and everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was early season. The horse is running away. I was a teenager. I haltered the wrong horse that you never ride. He was just a pack horse only and like could have been an ex bucker. <laughs> and he was the horse I had captured and the horses were running away. And I was on our way to where Eastman had actually filmed one of their hunting shows in BC way back in the 60s. And I got to do it with John, and he was very patient. John raised a bunch of daughters, so I think they sent me with him because he had the patience, like, <laughs> a blonde-haired child that had all these wild ideas, and I burnt so many pancakes. I burnt so many pancakes. We didn't have a Coleman stove. John's like, you're doing it over the fire or over an oven grate. And I just remember, like, bless his heart. And Susan was actually our hunter on that. She's a gal that she's hunted from New York, and she was one of our first sheep hunters. But it was about four or five years later that – John and I were going up to that exact same valley with that Italian client. And we'd come around the corner and we'd busted some rams and we had a pack string with us. And we literally tied up. John put the spot and scope on. I think I was still tying up horses. And he's like, okay, you're up, kid, go. And I was like, "Ah, what? What do you mean? He's like, you got your guide's license. You know which ram's the legal one. And I was like, John, I haven't even looked at the sheep. He's like, there's one there. Go find it. And these rams hooked (laughs) it back over to the old campsite. And I literally remember standing there and he's like, what are you waiting for? Get on your horse. And so I jumped on this horse, Bradford, who was a colt when I first started, got the hunter on and we're whipping and spurring and I'm feeling majestic, but we probably looked awkward as cattywampus and we're racing across this northern, like this high alpine valley trying to cut these rams off. And I remember they fed up into a bowl. I tied up the horses. We climbed up the mountain and the rams were not like an obvious cranker. So you had to really look at them. And I, remember, I feel like they were Crayola binoculars, but I think they were like super old, <laughs> like super old, like gold ring Leopolds that had been handed down to every wrangler. So they had enough story on them that couldn't really see. <laughs> but we ended up shooting the right ram. John had heard the shot. We had brought the horses down. We caped it out. I didn't, even, I had like a backpack that I think was a Cabela's backpack, but it was like a backpack. Like it didn't have a shoulder strap. It didn't have a waistband. It didn't have anything. And we put the ram in the backpack. And I remember walking over the skyline, spotting John. And I like held the ram up on skyline. And he gave out this God almighty, like Sasquatch hoot and holler. And I remember like, <laughs> oh, I was like walking on cloud nine, even though my back was killing me. We camped under the stars. Our hunter froze. We froze. I still have a picture of it. And it was like, that's when I was like, this is it. This is the adventure I want. And wow, that was, 
that's when I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a guide. And I fight <laughs> all odds. And it was cool getting to do it on a horse that was a punk colt when I had first started going there. And it just like, it all came together. So that's my aha. That would be a fond memory. And as you're telling that, Rachel, I'm thinking so many listeners are listening to this. And I don't mean this in any critical way. They just can't even imagine the the adventure that you've been a part of. I mean, you talk about it like step by step, so knowingly of, of how that hunt unfolded. And many listeners are probably like, I've never been there. I, I can't, my mind can't even think about that. It would definitely be one to remember. And especially if you live in the lower 48. Mm-hmm. But what the two of you get to experience every year, only one out of probably every 50 hunters in the lower 48 will get to do it once in their life if they're lucky. You guys are doing it every day, like you're packing your lunch and going to work. So, Frankie, you got one that uh, sticks in your mind as super successful or hilarious? or Yeah, that's a tough story to follow, Rachel. Jeez, you're a good storyteller. <laughs> I think uh, a couple come to mind of really... We went on a trip with myself and, and one of Adam's childhood best friends. We actually all went to college together. We went for a black-tailed deer hunt where we had, we just showed, we knew where we wanted to go, but we didn't quite know. We went on a two-day road trip. We had this, it was beautiful. It was summer, sunshine. We took a ferry, overnight ferry. We ended up driving around on these dirt roads and we had this plan that we were going to climb the top, the high, we picked the highest mountain and we were going to go there and we were going to climb to the top and that's where the deer were going to be. And when we got to where we thought we were going to go, they had been logging the mountain and we ran into a, there was a dude out there who was logging and he said, what are you guys doing? And we said, well, we were going to come here and hike to the top and go on a deer hunt. And he said, well, I think I know a place where you'd have better luck. You should go to this mountain over here, but you have to cross a lake. You need a boat. Do you have a boat? Oh, and we said, no, we don't have a boat. And he said, oh, that's all right. I've got a boat. It's hanging out on the causeway. I think it's got a motor, but I'm not sure if the motor works. If it doesn't have a motor, I think it has paddles or oars. And if it doesn't have oars, well, then I don't know what to tell you. But there's a boat. It's out on the causeway. You can borrow it if you want. And we kind of said, okay, what's your name again? You know, and uh, he, so he sent us back down to the causeway and we found an old tin John boat. Didn't have a motor. Uh, and we loaded it in the back of the truck. Didn't quite fit. We couldn't quite strap it, but we just kind of shoved it in there and drove down the logging road to an X on a map that he had pointed out. And we put the boat in the water and it floated, didn't have any holes. And so we paddled to where he told us to paddle across the lake. And then we ditched the boat. We ditched a little cache of cold beer down in the bottom of the creek (laughs) and weighted it down with some rocks and some extra snacks or whatever. And we loaded up and we hiked to the top. And it was when we got to the top, it was up in the Alpine and it was beautiful, grassy, unbelievably gorgeous, 365 degree views, mountains all around, but then you could also see the ocean. And 
it was absolutely stunning. The weather was amazing. It was so sunny and beautiful and warm, which isn't what you always get. And I have repeated that hunt since then and spent eight days in the tent getting rained on. So it was very <laughs> lucky. And we camped on a lake, small lake that we could drink from. It was crystal clear. We floated in our sleeping pads during the day in the lake. It was <laughs> it was so fun and there were deer everywhere. Small body black tailed deer, but we it was awesome spot in stock. We busted deer all over the place. It didn't matter. It was really fun. And the wildflowers were out. It was just a really idyllic hunt. We had a great time. We ended up killing a couple deer and actually put them in our game bags. And instead of hanging them because it was so warm, we sunk them in the water to keep them cold. And we just cooked deer meat over the fire and played cards and ate Sour Patch Kids and <laughs> had the best time. It was so great and had that not we had we not ran into that stranger on the side of the mountain who pointed us to an X on the map and told us he had a boat that maybe had a motor that maybe had oars. We wouldn't have been there. <laughs> oh, that's the adventure part of it though, right? Yeah, it's kind of when you're on a trip and the stars align and you just feel like the universe is inspiring for you to be there and for things to work out. And then you kind of feel, it does feel as if, no, this is where I am meant to be. This is what I'm meant to be doing. This is happening because I'm here and this is right. I have a little faith in humanity too. I mean, like that guy could have totally steered you guys wrong. So it's like, you hear so many (laughs) stories nowadays of like, maybe he would have done it to like send you out of his honey hole, but it was really cool that he actually like paid it forward. And he was like, no, you guys would like this. I think that's cool. There's probably some people who have met the stranger out there who gave him advice, who did exactly what you're talking about, Rachel. I don't want him going over there. That's my, I've been hunting there all my life. I, I'm going to tell him to go over here. <laughs> Not that any of our listeners would ever do that, I'm sure. But I told you all that I'd not keep you too long. We've been at this for an hour and a half. And I'm really, really thankful of the time and the stories and the knowledge and wisdom that you shared. But it wouldn't be a good podcast if people didn't know where to find you and follow along and see your stories and keep up with what you're doing. So uh, I always want to make sure that the audience can find you on whatever platform it is that you spend most of your time on. I follow both of you, what little I know about some of the platforms. I, I don't know how to post anything on Instagram, but I know they've taught me enough how to hit the little button and it opens on my phone. And I know if I scroll a certain way, things come up. And then every once in a while, I hit something on the top and all kinds of goofy video uh, stuff starts scrolling the other way. I'm like, what the? And so, anyhow, any place where, where the world can find out more about what the two of you are up to? Yeah, I think uh, Instagram is a good one for me right now, just at Rachel Attila. Got some exciting projects coming out, but they're not officially done yet. So it's going to be, Instagram will be the place to go until the other ones launch. So kind of exciting you're keeping it a really good secret rachel but you really are letting the world know that there's something coming because i've seen it like three times already on your instagram and i'm like i was hoping on our podcast this is when you'd (laughs) announce to the world what it is well we're not quite ready yet but i can let you know this much that on a national level i'm going to be working with 
some people on a project that I wish we could have started two years ago before the world shut down and gun control came in. I'll let you know that much. All right. I'll look forward to it. I'll follow along as it's out there. Frankie, where do you mostly hang out? Uh, I hang out on Instagram. My under Frankie Foss, my handle's MT Bound. And then I also have a website that's foss.media. And you can check out what we're up to there. Well, I appreciate both of you for being who you are as people. I feel blessed the the folks I get to interact with in this world that I live and the two of you. I, I get to see you or, you know, Frankie, you're sending me emails. Okay, Adam's coming here. To, you pick him <laughs> up there, da, da, da. And I've told him this many times that if it wasn't for you, he'd have been a complete failure. He'd have still been trying to be a hockey player or something. Uh, that is not true, Randy. Come on. He knows that enough that he doesn't push back. And uh, Rachel, you and I get to see each other at at the shows and we share a lot of the same companies that we work with. And, uh, I admire both of you. You're two remarkable people. And, uh, it's, it's great that you'd take the time to, to talk about this kind of stuff and, and give my audience the lens through which your world out in the wild unfolds. And, uh, hopefully we'll get to see each other again, whenever that is. I'm pretty easy to find in Bozeman. Just go to Dairy Queen and, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll be there. But, uh, and, uh, so I, uh, my audience doesn't need to know my Instagram handle. I'd have to ask one of my employees, Hey, what's our Instagram name? <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel so stupid when people I'll be at a show. They're like, well, can you put this on Instagram? I'm like, no, here's my phone. Put it on there. <laughs> oh, There's nothing wrong with I little old I, school, Randy. There's nothing wrong. With all right. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I might be a lot of old school, but when I see you all at the next show, I, I'm i not going to make it to British Columbia this year. I'm actually going to the Yukon. Uh, I have all these landscapes. So you get to a certain age, it's like, all right, what are the landscapes I want to go and explore? It's not so much the species, it's the landscape. So I did the Wrangles. I did the Cassiars. I have three places left, the Brooks Range of Alaska, the Mackenzies, uh, and the Yukon. So... Dustin Rowe calls me after the sheep show this year. He's like, hey, if you could open up your schedule, uh, I got a caribou moose hunt lined up in the Yukon that someone canceled. I'm like, look, Dustin, I'm just, uh, what's the cheapest way I can go there? Can I go there and hunt ptarmigan or something? He's like, no, you got, you got to actually come on a hunt. So Marcus and I will be up in the Yukon this year hunting mountain caribou. And then next year I get to check off the McKinsey's because Harold, who you talked about, Rachel, I did a fundraiser for the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society, and the deal was they had reserved two hunts with Harold, and I bought one and they bought one, and we're going to go up there and film the the winner on a sheep hunt. I'll only have one left after next year, and that'll be the Brooks Range, and maybe I'll just go ptarmigan hunting up there. I I don't know. There you go. You're going to have an amazing time. Oh, my gosh. It's a special oh, yeah. country up there. Adam and I got to do a couple hunts together, and it's just, to me, like, it's the epitome of Canadians North. It's so untouched, and it's just so wild and rugged. You're just going to fall in love with it. So plan on going back to the Mackenzie's. Really? I'll give you that much of a heads up. <laughs> really? Oh, man. I don't know. You can go pick rocks. All right. Trip. I'm sure they'd hire you for that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know if I'm talented enough to do that. I might get fired, but uh, I bring that up because 
for, I think a lot of us who spend a lot of time outdoors, a lot of times the landscapes are as fascinating as the species and the species are kind of a reason of why we are there with our senses fully immersed in how that species uses that landscape. And I can never go enjoy a landscape when I'm not hunting to the same degree I enjoy it and and learn it and feel it as when I am hunting. So many people are like, well, you could have went to the Wrangles without hunting. Well, yeah, I could have, but it wouldn't have been the same experience. Mm -hmm. So, no, that's really cool. So hopefully when we see each other next time, I'll have a big story to tell about the Yukon. Hopefully it's no misadventures, no mishaps. Just You'll have a great time. that a promise, right? It is a promise. I know the outfit that they just bought. When I go to Scoop Lake, I'd take a Greyhound up to Watson Lake and then fly south. So I knew it's a phenomenal area that they got there in the Yukon and got a lot of rich history. So the breakfast sandwich at Tag's Grocery Store definitely worth their weight in gold. So before you fly in anywhere... Stop there. <laughs> in Watson Lake? Yeah. Why did nobody tell me that when I was up there in 2019? Well, you just didn't talk to the right people. Obviously. Well, I'm not going to listen to that outfit again. I'm going to call you. <laughs> and then there's some place between, I don't even know where it is. We were driving and it said cinnamon rolls. Gas, like $8 a, a liter in cinnamon rolls. Mm-hmm. I stopped in there. It's the best cinnamon roll in North America, not just Northern British Columbia. It was great. Well, Rachel, I know you got cows to tend to and probably horses that need fed and everything else. And Frankie, you got work to do. So I'll let you all go. But uh, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your friendship and I appreciate all that you do to make hunting what it is and and the way that you represent yourselves. It's uh, it's fun. Mandy, thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Well, let's thank Mystery Ranch for coming up with the idea to bring the three of us together and give us something to talk about. Exactly. Great minds, great companies, great company. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks, Randy. When the sun came shining